First Church Charlotte. Greetings to all of you. I hope you're having a wonderful evening. Uh, I am honored to spend a few moments with you in, uh, in a context where we study the word of the Lord together. Um, I should perhaps apologize in advance. Uh, I have a lot of technology uh, making all of this happen. And although I've gotten better at it, I am still prone to making uh, mistakes. And so thank you for your long-suffering kindness. Just think, I'm giving you an opportunity to practice your Christianity. We have been in the Gospel of Mark, and we have arrived in one of the most prophetically powerful and heavy moments uh, in the Scripture. We are going to be reading together in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And let's start, let's just start at verse number one. We may read a fairly lengthy passage. Um, we may not. Let's see how it, let's see how it goes. I want to direct your attention here to, uh, the, uh, my Bible. I have come across this Bible recently that I really like. This is a, it's called, uh, journaling the word, a journal of the word there. And it's not cheap. I got it on Amazon and it gives you your text and then notes that you can write. Uh, and so anyway, I'm enjoying it. And um, hopefully, hopefully you will, too. Uh, let me adjust this filter here on this. Uh, there we go. All right. Starting at verse number one. Remember, he has just watched the poor widow putting more than them all in the uh, offering. And he goes out of the temple and one of his disciples says to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what, be, what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. That will happen. What is the declarative? Many will come. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such things must. Again, note the, the declarative. These things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be, let's move the camera here. There will be, let's see, uh, earthquakes in various places. Sorry if I'm making you motion, motion sick there. And there will be famines and troubles. Uh, these are the beginnings of sorrows. Watch out for yourselves. They will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached unto all nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand. Do not premeditate what you will speak. Whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit Brother will betray brother to death and a father is child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is such a unique passage because Jesus is giving them quite a litany of terrible things that are going to happen. 
And then he's telling them not to worry about it. Yes, you heard that correctly. A lot of things that are going to happen and they're bad things and they're scary things and they're terrible things and they're troubling things, but don't be troubled by them. Uh, This continues all the way through the rest of the chapter. This next passage about the Great Tribulation, um, it is, uh, again, heavy, heavy things. Um, Woe to them in those days. Pray your flight would not be in winter. On and on. Um, False Christs, on and on. And he ends up by saying, but take heed. See, I have told you all things beforehand and it continues the coming of the son of man let's turn our page here coming of the son of man uh the parable of the fig tree um this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place and no one knows the day or hour watch therefore you do not know when the master of the house is coming notice verse 37 and what i say to you i say to all watch now this is uh, a lot this is perhaps one of the most prophetically dense passages in all the word of god i would say if you look at the words of jesus it is assuredly the most prophetically, eschatologically dense passages um, of Jesus. And I think it has, as as you would think, it has a lot of um, swing weight to it. I have had uh, questions asked specifically about this, and I have, every single time I've sought to answer them as, as fairly as I could, but anyone who answers them without first stating that uh, these are, a serious, heavy, difficult to understand subjects of which God knows and is in control and the rest of us seek to learn by and grow from. Uh, if they to treat this passage lightly, uh, they're doing no one any favors by, by doing that. So uh, the context, remember, is Jesus' judgment of the temple, his uh, words of condemnation upon the temple uh, that they, it was what it was intended for by God is not what they have in some way turned it into, but rather they have kind of turned it in their own, made it fit them and their own needs, their own wishes. They made, for example, and I talked about this last week, they made the court of the Gentiles a convenience for the Jews. They created a culture where the, no Gentile would visit, and the largest place in the temple, which was the court of the Gentiles, was empty of its purpose, Gentiles, because they had created a culture of exclusion. God always wanted his house to be welcome to everyone. Now, consider this. Gentiles didn't believe what the Jews did. They didn't worship the same gods, but he wanted them to create a culture where anyone could feel like they were welcome to come pray there. That's important. And so when he judges the temple, turns over the money changers, drives them out, he says this, you guys have heard me say this, this was supposed to be a house of prayer for all peoples. He says that in the court of the Gentiles, not in the holy place, in the court of the Gentiles, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. You have created a religious culture that blesses no one but you. It was never God's purpose, never God's plan. Uh, his, in, in the covenant with Abraham, uh, there was a big piece to it that is uncelebrated uh, by the Pharisee, and that is through you shall all the 
nations, the families, the people of the earth be blessed. Uh, the Pharisee, the, the, the religious scribe, Sadducee, uh, has no desire to bless anyone else or to share the blessings of God. Jesus, having condemned the temple, warns his disciples not to worship like these religious, the scribes, the Pharisees do. Don't make it social elevation or elitism, but make it a religion of your heart. Uh, and it is now when he notices the widow and he says, look, basically the lesson is this. God sees things different than us. We're impressed by status, by name, by title. He sees the widow who gives her last two mites. This is why in the kingdom of heaven, the last is going to be first. The, the smallest, the, 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 the lowliest of us will be the greatest there. God knows, God knows the heart. Leaving the, leaving the temple, the Pharisees or one of them mentions how impressed they are with the temple. He says, this temple is going to be destroyed. Now, this is troubling to the disciples. Why? Because they, they, they have no sense of Christianity yet. They, they're still very much Jews. Um, Christianity will come later. I mean, decades later, as far as a societal wide movement. Um, they are thinking as Jews, they're seeing Jesus as a Jewish teacher, even though he doesn't seem to get along with the Jewish leaders. Um, you know, they're hearing this as Jews. What do you mean this temple will be destroyed? You can imagine the, the shock of that. And Jesus, in fact, gives them this dense, dense prophecy uh, that is known as the Olivet Discourse, which is the discourse Jesus had with the inner disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. Um, they are the inner uh, disciples. You can learn more about that. Um, I actually wrote a book that explains all of that. If you want a copy, I'll give it to you free if you'll read it. <laughs> and so the idea is this moment is about as, you ever heard the phrase, the phrase you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose? Uh, this moment is like drinking from a fire hose in terms of eschatology, in terms of what will be, and the stunning, even tragic transition that the nation of Israel will go through, and even the Jews, them, uh, the the disciples themselves, excuse me, um, will go through. So let's, having placed ourselves in this moment. Um, the disciples have two questions. Let's, let's, let's make sure of the structure of this. Let's get the bones of the skeleton right. There's two questions. Uh, when is this going to happen? This temple is going to be destroyed. When is this going to be happened? And wh when is it going to happen? And what are the signs that would warn us that the season is coming? Excuse me. <laughs> what are those, what are those signs? Um, Jesus then launches into a profound discourse on all the things that's going to come. Let's, again, get the bones of the skeleton right. Take care. Take heed. Be careful that you are not deceived. Many people will claim to be the Christ. We read that as a proper noun. Many will claim to be the Christ. Many will claim to be Jesus Christ. Um, I don't think that's exactly how they heard it, because Christ in uh, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, which uh, let's not get to inside baseball here, um, it simply means the anointed one. It's a title. So it's as though Jesus are saying many will come. 
many will come claiming to be the anointed one. Now, there are false Christs, and Jesus will give that warning of false Christs. But at least myself, my whole life, I've tended to read that as claiming to be Jesus Christ. Um, as an antichrist, but I, I think it, 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 I think there is some benefit in seeing it as many will claim to be anointed of God and they will deceive many. Then, as if we haven't had enough heaviness, uh, the Lord tells us of troubling things that we should not be troubled by. Yes, you heard that correctly. Troubling things that we should not be troubled by. Are you ready for this? Wars. Earthquakes, famines, pestilence, pestilence. These things will come, but the destruction of the temple is not yet. Remember what they're asking. When and what are the signs? When and how will we know? You should expect these things and the end will not yet be yet. (laughs) You should anticipate persecution and hard times. You will be killed for your beliefs you will be uh, many many will be offended to betray each other but it's not the end this is simply the beginning of sorrows um, the love of many will grow cold he warns us um, and even so even so these are troubling things they must come and you must not allow them to take you away from your spiritual watchfulness. Uh, I think, at least for us, uh, there's a little bit better word that would help us understand. Um, if I were to say it to you like this, there's going to be a ton of distractions in the coming year. Don't lose your focus on the call of God, the purposes of the kingdom, and the ministry God has invested in you. Do you see um, you, there's going to be drama. There's going to be running and screaming. There's going to be sirens and welling. Don't lose your focus. You are called. You are anointed. You have a work. You have a purpose to do. The Lord warns them of a lot of drama to come and then tells them, don't let it bother you too much. He goes on in verse number uh, 14, uh, talking about uh, the abomination of desolation. Um standing where it ought not to stand, the holy city of Jerusalem, foretold by the prophet Daniel. Uh, Yeah, there is a lot. There is a lot. Um, Then, rather than telling them um, signs that let them know when it is coming, he, he, he tells them what to expect. He gives them signs of what, but not when. He gives them signs of what, but not when. And then he tells them what to do when it happens. So he's not telling them when it's going to happen. He's telling them what is going to happen. That's the context. And then he's going to give them direction on what to do when it happens. So I don't know when. But I know what's going to happen and I know what I'm supposed to do. Let me reemphasize that because I think it is extremely important. God is not telling me when. If I knew when, I would be tempted to game the system for my own purposes. When I was young, I'll never forget, we were a very small church. And I have this memory. I think I was maybe nine years old. And there was a, a lady who lived right across the street from the church. And she came sometimes. And uh, I remember we had had a big prophecy event at the church 
And I was really good friends with her, her second son. And she had her whole, after that prophecy event, she went to her house and she redid a bunch of stuff, all new carpet, all new flooring, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, it was a lot, you know, and, and she was showing everybody and have this memory of this little kid sitting with her son and her laughing, telling someone else, maybe my mother, I don't know, saying, I just decided that since the Lord was about to come, I was going to put all this on credit cards and leave the bills for the Antichrist. This is a, a, a we'd all love to do that, right? Um, this is a perfect example of how if we knew when, it wouldn't help us that much. We would gain the system. Uh, he doesn't tell us when. He tells us what's going to happen, and he tells us what we should do when it happens. In your life, it might be this same dynamic is working out. You don't know the when, but you know the what, and you know biblically what you're supposed to be doing. Very few of us lack knowledge. What we usually lack is will. <laughs> we know enough to save China. You know what I mean? We could be a single-handed revival across the dark continents of history, <laughs> but uh, it's will. We know we should be praying more, but man, it's tough to get up early, make time in our busy day. And since we don't make time, there won't be time. Uh, prayer seems hard if you don't make time. It's it's a lot easier if you make time. Uh, okay, enough uh, on, on that. We all know what to do. The, the challenge is for us to do what we know, right? And so, um, this this reality is even seen with the disciples. He's not telling them when, he's telling them what's going to happen. And then he's telling them what to do when it happens. Not when it happens, but what to do whenever it happens. A little confusing, I know, but I believe in you. You can get it. <laughs> and so um, here is what they should do when it happens. Flee. Don't stay here in Jerusalem. Don't delay don't put it off. Don't try to go home and organize yourself. When it happens, get out of here. Um, there's going to be difficulty. Pray it doesn't happen in winter. Pray you're not pregnant when it happens. And uh, uh, those of you who are going through that, uh, uh, others prepare, uh, prepare for help. Um, this will be a great tribulation. Now, I want to, I want to uh, talk a little bit here. Um, you noticed here in my Bible, let me show this to you. Um, I wrote right over here in my little side, uh, I wrote uh, preterist versus futurist. Now, that is a $5 uh, theological word that uh, I encourage you to learn and use in unpredictable, unexpected ways. Like when you're having an argument with your children, just throw in the word preterist. And so they will look at you like you they, they don't know what you're talking about because they won't know. Um, but preterist just comes from the Latin word of that which has already uh, transpired. It's in the past. And uh, in all prophetic interpretation, these are the two views that are most common um, to be presented. The preterist, which is this prophecy, refers to something that has already happened versus the futurist, which is we believe this refers to something that is yet uh, to happen. And so... This passage here is one of the battlegrounds between preterists and futurists. I would even argue that uh, probably even as much or more than the book of Revelations, um, not, maybe not more, but 
this is a favorite battleground uh, between the people who are preterists. They think it's already happened and, and refers to the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Or the futurists who say, okay, that might be the case, but there is more, there is more to this that will only be unveiled in the future. Some of you want to ask at this moment, where, where do I stand? And um, so I'm going to thread a needle between these and I'm going to try to do so in a manner that acknowledges the testimony of what God has already done, but also leaves room for the prophetic to happen, that which is yet to come to be revealed. How would I do this? Well, first of all, we know that the Olivet Discourse was a warning to the early church. We know that whether or not, in other words, the preterist view, whether or not that's all it was, that's to be debated, but um, we know it was a warning to them. That is why Jesus said this temple will be destroyed, and it was. And he said, there are people who are alive, this generation, it will be fulfilled. That's within one generation. This is probably happening um, 30-something um, um, AD, and it's destroyed 40 years later. That generation will see. Um, we know it refers to the destruction of Jerusalem. The only question, there's no question about that, and I'll explain that in just a moment. The only question that is left is whether or not there is an unfulfilled prophetic element of that which is uh, to come. So let's deal with the fact that we know, we know, we know, we know that this was a warning to the early church. Well, um, what did the New Testament church do when the Romans came? Now, we actually know this from history, from um, Flavius uh, uh, Josephus, we know what they did. Um, they were spared the siege. Why? Uh, because they left. <laughs> yes, they left. The Christians left. Let me point this out. Throughout the writing of the New Testament, apologies if I'm nerding out a little bit too much here. You guys, you know, you, this is just so fascinating to me, and I, I want you to see the depth, the layers, the beauty of the Scripture. Um, the New Testament is being written all the way up to the last book, which was probably yeah, 70 A.D., I mean, uh, not close to 90 A.D., which would be the last epistles of John back from the Isle of Patmos. That is that is the, the oldest. So, the Apostle Paul, um, the last of his books probably were concurrent with this time. The last of uh, John's books certainly were concurrent with this time. Um, James may have been, uh, I don't think so. I think James would have already passed by this time. But here's the question I want to ask. And uh, I think it's important. How many times in the New Testament writings is the destruction of Israel uh, mentioned by an epistle, a preacher, um, or any New Testament writer? The answer is zero. The biggest single cataclysmic event to happen to the Jewish people, how many times is it mentioned? Not at all. Um, well, that, that seems crazy because most of us preachers, whatever is going on, we can't help but preach about it. We oftentimes err by have to, having to have an opinion about everything rather than just preaching Jesus. Um, and we, we divide the body of Christ when we do that. 
they don't mention it at all. The big John never mentions it. Was he a Jew? Yes. Was Jerusalem important to him? Yes. Was it all the inherited traditions of his family and uh, Ken, Ken, and you get the idea of friends and family. Yes. Did he mention it all? No. Compared to Jesus, it wasn't very important. Why wasn't it a bigger deal in the New Testament church? Because we know, we know that the New Testament church heeded Jesus's warning right here. And rather than being destroyed in Jerusalem, they left early fulfilling, fulfilling the warning of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know without question or doubt that this is at one level a fulfilled prophecy where Jesus warns the first generation of the church. He speaks judgment to the house of Israel. He speaks judgment to the temple that had missed its God-given purpose and twisted its divine covenant to focus upon them rather than to flow through them and bless the world. They had missed the point of God. This engendered no end of frustration in God until it led up to 400 years of divine silence where he seeks trying to change their heart and says, I will come myself. I will live the perfect life that they cannot live. I will take their sins and give them my sinlessness. This is the gospel, my brothers and sisters. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He became our redemptive covering, our perfect lamb of God. That's why you should not live in condemnation of the enemy who tells you you're not good enough to be saved. When the devil tells you you are not good enough to be saved, you should say, amen, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The difference in me and you, Lucifer, is I repented and I was given a righteousness I did not deserve. Don't let the enemy tell you you're not going to heaven. You're not good enough. You're not right enough. Agree with him. You're exactly right. But Jesus was enough. The blood of Jesus was enough. And through his blood, I have been cleansed and brought into a fellowship of new life, new faith, new hope. Amen. I'll be my own amen corner here. Um, so we know without any question, we know that this is um, a fulfilled prophecy of the past to them. But the question for us is, is that all it is? Is it only have one insight? Is it only one prophetic moment? Is it finished and does it not apply to us today? I personally believe that in the manner in which biblical prophecy almost always, almost always has a, a voice that speaks to more than one generation. I believe this Olivet Discourse speaks with the same kind of prophetic divine voice that is a voice of many waters, as though the sound and the truth of it would echo out to many generations. Um, is there a risk of us over applying it and twisting it, twisting it to serve our generation rather than revering it to have served that generation? Yes, there is a risk. Uh, whenever we, we add to the scripture, um, that, that has the same judgment and, uh, damnation 
applied to it as when we take away from the scripture. Um, we, we have to be careful not to over, over apply the scripture in a way that there is, in other words, it's almost like we have this hobby of spinning out dramatic, dramatic scripture to, 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 to impress somebody. That's not what we're trying to do. But when you read the Olivet Discourse, you hear again and again that echoing voice of prophecy that speaks with like the voice of many waters and it speaks to many generations i think there are elements to this that apply to many many other circumstances and to what i would say when i i should clarify that statement of many circumstances i don't mean uh, many circumstances just like historically it may um we have to speak carefully though I would, however, like to apply it to us with the knowledge that we know it was fulfilled with them. It may also have prophetic insight to the return of Christ and a future of spiritual um, revelation. Um, but I, I, whether or not that unfolds in a manner we can perceive, there is a continuing theme to this passage that I don't want you, I don't want you uh, to miss. And it's going to go, it, it kind of goes like this. Starting at verse number five, you could almost read this like, um, <laughs> there are going to be troubles and more troubles and uh, even more troubles and screaming and running and tears. And um, <laughs> but don't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, that's not my favorite kind of Bible reading, just so you know. There's going to be nations and wars and rumors of wars and yelling and troubles and carrying on and all this business. Let me show you this here. We're carrying on all this business and running and all this stuff, but do not be troubled. Do you see what's happening here? All this stuff, more famines and troubles, but this is just the beginning. You're going to be beaten uh, brought before rulers, arrested. Look here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> You're going through all sorts of troubles and dilemmas, and they're going to beat you, and they're going to take away your birthday, and they're going to steal all your M&Ms. Don't worry about it. Um, don't even worry about when you have to give an answer. When you don't know what to say, don't, don't let that bother you. I'll be with you. I will speak with you. Uh, let's keep going. Abomination. Uh, if you're on the house up, don't even go down. If you're not at home, don't even go back to get your clothes. If you're working in the field, they would oftentimes, uh, because they didn't have a lot of different clothes, um, they would uh, in some ways kind of disrobe when they were working in the field because of the heat. Um, woe to them and not in winter and tribulation and uh, on and on and no flesh shall be worn. If anyone says, uh, uh, but uh, take heed, focus on this. I've told you all these things beforehand. There is a theme and I, this is what I could go on and on. The theme stays the same. The, 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 the theme stays the same. All of this trouble, all this setback. Uh, watch, therefore, and I say, and he ends with it, all watch. So what am I saying? Notice the themes in this, and I want you to apply these themes to your life. I need to apply them to my life. It goes like this. There's all manner of uncertainty in the world. 
Don't let it get you down. Um, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be running and screaming. You're going to have car trouble. You're going to have some weeks where you have more bills than you do money. Some weeks you're not going to get paid for stuff. People's going to lie about you. Don't worry about it. You're going to get put on the spot. Don't worry about it. This is what I want to say to all of us. If we put, and I'm, 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 I'm trying to end up here. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, if we put as much effort, if we put as much effort in reassuring ourselves about the power and the promise of God, as we put into trying to figure out what's next, that makes sense? If we did that, I honestly believe we would be much stronger in our faith. I do. I believe if we put as much effort, excuse me, we put as much effort in reminding ourselves that God is with us and it's going to be okay. Uh, I think we'd be better Christian. I, I know how we love to talk about how this may come about. This may happen. This may, what's going to happen with the politics? What happens if whichever party I don't like gets elected? What happens if Russia invades? What about the bear? There's something about us that loves drama and we struggle with reassurance. But the victory of the believer is in facing all the uncertainty, staying focused and refusing to worry. That's the victory of the, that's the victory of the believer. And that's where I want, if possible, that's where I want to live. Um, to me, the Olivet Discourse is this. God knows a whole lot more than we ever will about what's going on. There's lots of mystery. There's lots of uncertainty. There's lots of questions. Don't worry about it. Watch, therefore, focus. What difference can you make in your world? What difference can you make in your world? Focus on that. What prayers can you pray? Focus on that. This isn't uh, very satisfying to some personality types because they want to try to figure everything out. I I'm not unsympathetic, but I want to say this. Make sure you at least putting as much effort into telling yourself, all right, buddy, I need you to focus on what matters. I need you to watch, therefore. I need you to focus on what matters. You can worry about this, worry about that if you want to, but focus on what matters. So whatever it is you're facing in your life, I'm praying that you would, you would learn to live in trust. Confusion will come. Offense will come. Uncertainty will come. You're going to have to live in trust. You're going to have to believe. You're going to have to reassure yourself. And here's the good news. You can do it. In fact, when you do it, you're getting this Christian thing right. You're following Jesus correctly. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every believer. I'm praying for every person who is taking time right now. If they're live, if they're in the Zoom room, if they're watching on one of our media platforms, or if they're watching this in the future, Lord, I pray this moment they would be able to speak to themselves with the voice of spiritual confidence.
and say, yes, there's going to be uncertainty. Yes, there's going to be troubled times, but don't be troubled. There's going to be setbacks. Don't be troubled. There's going to be hassle. Don't be troubled. Don't let your worry in some way distract you from your focus. Stay attentive. Stay focused. Lord, each of us, we find that that means different things for us. We have different talents, different placements. Lord, I'm praying today that we would be in some real and very powerful way, very intentional way. We would be aware of the chaos. And in response to chaos, we say, I've just got to focus on what I can do for the kingdom. In response to chaos, I have to focus on your promise. In response to chaos, I have to focus more than anything else on the work of the kingdom. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. We love you. Um, our service times, 9.15 and 11 a.m. Uh, in Charlotte. And we have uh, French African service at 2 p.m. in Charlotte. Uh, we have a Spanish service in uh, Sister Congregation at 2 p.m. On, in Charlotte. And um, we also have a Sister Congregation at 11 in Concord. Um, if you look at the description uh, of this video, you'll see uh, the directions to the websites and more information and all of that. God bless you. We love you. Have a great day in Jesus' name. And we will see you soon. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.